Kia ora, Central Vineyard. Um, it is Dan here, and I just wanted to jump on at the start of this new series and just for a few moments just explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. This series is called Been Here, Done That. And it's looking at some stories from church history and the wisdom from those stories for our church today. I don't know about you, but in this moment of history, we seem to be using the phrase unprecedented or one in a hundred years. We're using those phrases quite a lot. And it's it's tempting to think no one has ever seen these moments before. No one has faced these challenges before. But actually, the church is 2,000 years old and it has 2,000 years worth of faithful stories of saints who have been in the world, loving God, going about the mission of God. And what we wanted to do is just for a few weeks, have a look at some of the stories of the church from its history, pull them forward into this moment that we could look at the challenges of today in light of the wisdom from those stories and see how we can face today better. So for the next five weeks, you're going to be hearing from five of us as pastors sharing our favorite stories from church history and the applications of the wisdom for today. Enjoy. It's going to be great. And uh, we hope that this blesses you richly. Love was our Lord's meaning. Julian of Norwich, Revelations of Divine Love. As we still find ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic, these are unusual and unsettling times indeed for our world. We have had the enormous privilege and blessing of living in an age and country where global pandemics are not the norm, where we have lived with wonderful freedoms, more or less, since the Second World War. History shows us our privilege, as plagues and pandemics have been a huge part of everyday life for the vast majority of the world for thousands of years. In fact, we are in this time probably more of a historical anomaly. As a result of this anomaly, much of the church has had to turn to experimentation and guesswork and this time to figure out how to respond. Our current generations haven't seen this kind of global upheaval and certainly not in the modern and digital world we live in at the moment. So no one church has been fully sure of what to do. That might be part of why the church, Big C, seems so fractured in this moment. It's tricky to respond to a historical anomaly and no one is going to get it perfectly right. But that is where the benefit of seeing what has stood the test of time comes in. So, for this first part of the Been Here Done That series, I want to turn us around and ask, how has the church functioned and existed in these past times of suffering and uncertainty? I want to introduce you to a woman called Julian of Norwich. I was introduced to Julian through my supervisor a few years ago. She is a fascinating and lesser-known figure in church history, but I want to tell a bit of her story and to look at how an ordinary woman, 
became an extraordinary woman who devoted her life to her faith and in doing so, found God's goodness in a time of enormous hardship and suffering. Let's start by setting the scene of the world in which Julian lived. Julian lived in the 14th century in Norwich, England. At the time, this was the second biggest city in England behind London. This is also the time of the Black Death. The Black Death, or bubonic plague, was the most fatal pandemic to have ever swept our planet. Tens of millions of people died, and it created enormous economic, political, and religious turmoil. It is estimated that it killed 50% of England's population, leaving it especially crippled of workers and labourers. Julian also lived through the violent Peasants' Revolt in 1381, which was a product of the economic aftermath of the Black Death and saw political and social unrest in England. The revolt was in response to a number of factors, including increased taxation for war and the suppression of rural workers, and was part of the ongoing general social and economic unrest from this period. So, Julian's world was one of an uncontrollable pandemic and violent riots. We don't know a huge amount about Julian, but historians think that she was likely to have been the daughter of a merchant, and her family were part of their local church community. When she was six years old, plague first swept through her city, but Julian survived. She is likely to have gone on to marry and have children when she was 15, as was the norm of the time. By the time she was 19, plague swept across Europe again, devastating the population, and this time it may have been that she lost her husband and children to it. Other historians believe she may have been remarried, but no one knows for sure. But while that first half of her life is assumed, we do know about her second half. It all starts when Julian was 30 and she became seriously ill and nearly died. She was so ill that the local priest was called in to give her her last rites. During her illness, Julian entered a visionary state in which God spoke to her and gave her 16 revelations or insights. She recovered from her illness and became a mystic with a special relationship with God, something highly unusual for the time, particularly for a woman. Julian decided that she would devote her entire life to God and became an anchoress. Wait, what's an anchoress, I hear you asking? An anchoress for a woman, or anchorite for a man, was a religious hermit living in a solitary life in a cell or anchor hold, attached to a church. Let's imagine for a moment a central vineyard met in an old stone church or cathedral building, and off to one side there was a little room that had someone living in it, and they never came out, living in there full time until their death. That person would be an anchoress or anchorite. Some of these people were literally walled up in their cells and stayed there for the rest of their lives. They took vows of chastity, poverty, and stability of abode, signaling that they were dying to their former lives and choosing to stay with God in that place for the rest of their days. Now that's a pretty big commitment. For Julian, she became an anchoress at the Church of St. Julian in Norwich. 
and it may be that she changed her name to reflect her new residency in this church. As an anchoress, she had just three windows into her cell to access the outside world. One window looked out onto the busy street where passers-by could ask for counsel or prayer from Julian. A second window looked out into the church so she could take part in the daily activities of the church. A third window served as an alcove where her maid could pass her food and drink and take away any waste. That was it. Julian would go on to live for 30 years in this cell. And with any lockdown life, there was plenty of time to commit herself to prayer, communion with God and study. During this time, she devoted herself to studying the 16 revelations given to her by God. Her revelations or insights began with reflections on the death of Jesus on the cross and expanded more broadly into the gospel itself. She also did a significant thing with these revelations and reflections. She wrote them down. Now this may not seem like a big deal now, but in doing so, it is widely regarded that Julian became the first woman to write a book in the English language entitled Revelations of Divine Love. What a pioneering woman of the faith she was. The focus of her manuscript was that God is full of goodness and love for his people. This was at odds with the stance that the church held at the time, which majored on a focus of hell and eternal damnation instead. The primary gospel of the church, heard by society at large, was about fearing God and the punishments he would give to those who sinned. By contrast, Julian focused on the love of God, she said in one of her reflections on this that, For our soul is so specially loved of him who is most high, that it surpasses the understanding of all creation. That is to say, there is no created thing that can fully understand how much and how sweetly and how tenderly our Maker loves us. And therefore we can with grace and his help stand in spirit, gazing at him, and eternally marvel at this high, surpassing, inestimable love that Almighty God has for us through His goodness. Can you imagine, amongst an age of so much pain and unrest, what it would have been like hearing those words as a perspective for God? Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says that Julian was a radical theologian of her time. Julian's focus was on God's love for us through Jesus and his crucifixion, that his love for us is unconditional and merciful. While these traits of God may seem obvious to us today, again, this is not the narrative that the church held to in Julian's time. In fact, her writings could have been seen as heretical to some, going against the grain of a focus on God's anger, wrath and judgment, when Julian's revelations were that of hope, love and trust in God and his goodness. Hope especially in an unsettled and tumultuous world full of sin, death and social brokenness. Her most famous line captures this perfectly. She said, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. You might recognise that line, it's become quite famous. 
In fact, Queen Elizabeth, the current queen, liked it so much she had it installed in stained glass in her private chapel at St James's Palace in London. Those words have come through to testify God's redemptive work in history and our hope as Christians. All shall be well. What a summary of what God's gospel is for our souls. So what can we learn from Julian? Firstly, let's look at how she lived in a time of unrest. Simply, she chose to withdraw and stay put in a self-imposed lockdown of sorts. Now, obviously, our situation today looks very different and we are unlikely to be shutting ourselves away in a cell in a church quite like Julian did. She radically made her home, quite literally, in the church and devoted herself to being forever present to those in her community. And all of this was summed up in the vow of stability she undertook. It's that vow I think we can learn something from. The vow of stability is one of the key vows that monks have taken throughout the ages. And essentially it means that they will stay. No matter what, come what may, there will always be a person of God's presence in that place. The practice of stability in the church means that whether we are surrounded by riots or pandemic, we choose to stay, not just for ourselves, but for others and for representing God's presence. It also means that because we stay, we must make stable rhythms to train our bodies to stay well. This is why anchorites, anchoresses and monks have always lived with a rule of life to sustain their daily life. What they trained their outer life with, they trained their inner life to in as a result. During this time of lockdown and COVID restrictions, our homes have become many things to us, like our workplace or our classroom. And I wonder, could we reimagine them as her anchor hold? A place to practice stability? Can we choose to make our homes into a monastery? To be the place where we go about our lives in rhythm to train our inner lives well? Lockdown is primarily a time of restriction, which is hard, as we all know. But what if there's also an opportunity for us here? What if it is a golden chance to practice being still, staying grounded and being rooted? We've just finished a series on the fruit of the Spirit and to live the practice of stability means we'll cultivate traits in our lives like the great saints who have practiced it before us. Things like steadfastness, fortitude and faithfulness to God and to others. Maybe you might need to take a moment, even right now, to look around your home and thank God for the gift it is as a space to practice life with Him. You could pray a simple intention of stability. God, I choose to make this a place to be still, to be grounded with You and rooted in this city, that Your presence may be known here. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. May you experience the rock of stability under you and your home. I know all of our homes aren't perfect, and there are plenty of distractions. I too have a three-year-old and a husband to work around all day, but I think it's about perspective and intent. Have we committed our homes to God as spaces for Him to use? 
Secondly, I mentioned earlier that I have read and appreciated Julian's work for myself, and it's her writings I want to share a bit of wisdom from now. Now, it's important to note that her writings are reflective of her time and place. This is a woman writing over 600 years ago. Her writings speak of suffering, of prayer, and of love. But perhaps most of all, they are drenched in an underlying joy in the Lord. To her, even thinking of Jesus on the cross as a thing of joy to behold. She said, I saw the red blood trickle down from under the garland, hot and fresh and copious, as it was in the time of his passion, when the crown of thorns was pressed on his blessed head, who was both good and man, the same who suffered thus for me. And in the same showing, suddenly the Trinity filled my heart with utmost joy. She does this quite a lot. She focuses on something of Christ's suffering, and then her response is seemingly preposterous, joy. When I think of the world she was in, with death rates far beyond what we can comprehend, and social and economic unrest of greater significance than we can relate to, her message of God's immeasurable love and goodness seems like a message so at odds with what she must have experienced. Her revelation with Jesus, her mystical experience, is the key here. She was not just theorizing of God, she had experienced God, and this experience changed the way she saw everything. Though she experienced such extreme personal loss and hardship during her lifetime, Julian could see God's love and goodness in a transcendent manner, and the hope for the world and his people. The end result of Julian's experiences was to be drawn into a deeper truth of the goodness of God for the rest of her days. This is a hard reality for us as modern people to enter into. We have been taught that the good life resides in everything and anything but God. Discipleship, the cross, obedience. These are hardly words that we associate with goodness. And because we can't always see the goodness of rightness, we fail to see the goodness of God sometimes. But Julian could see the goodness of God because he was putting everything to rights through his passion. God was the only one who can make all that is wrong be well, in our souls, in our sin, in our pain, and in our suffering. And so she summarizes, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This is not Julian giving up, throwing her hands up in defeat. This is her statement of joyful victory. God is a good one who has done this. Perhaps we can take a cue from Julian to taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. From Psalm 34, 8. To Julian, when she looked at the world, the first truth she saw through for all of reality was, love was our Lord's meaning. Everything came from there. So when we look back from here, what is some wisdom from the story of Julian of Norwich for us today? Well, when the world is rioting and full of pandemic, we can be the writers with a different message. We can be the presence of something else, divine love. 
We can be sustained by the one who is like a rock below us, not sand that shakes and moves. The crucified Christ who is making us new, who wants to commune with us and who wants to transform us to the deepest part of our souls, that all may be well. We can be people of prayer that experience God. We can be rooted and grounded. We can be stable amongst such uncertain times. And we can do all of this in our homes. The spaces we find ourselves practicing stability day to day during lockdown. Where we can live in rhythm with the Spirit in intentional ways. May your home be like a monastery for your soul. Gabrielle. Spiritus Sancti, Amen. 